0: And this is Kevin Evans with the chapter-by-chapter live class at Crossroads Assembly of God in Greenville. And we are studying the Gospels. Specifically, we are coming into the final stretch of the Gospel of John. And John, uh, unlike the other synoptic Gospels that kind of take a... um, timeline approach, I've lost the word, uh, to the, the, the story, John is more, uh, is in preaching, he's picked six specific instances and told them in broad strokes, it's a much more elaborate description of each one of Christ's uh, miracles, and it's all about Christ's teachings and why he's here, and it, it, it was less about the day-to-day. And we have just finished uh, Christ's final complicated two-chapter final message to his uh, followers. And in chapter 18, everything takes a turn and it stops being about Christ's message and it starts being about the sequence of events that took place as Christ was arrested, tried, and crucified. Um, John who was ignoring all of that chronology for the sake of teaching a story is feeling really important or feels really strongly that this sequence is important and I think that's curious why would a guy who's just doing the sermon stuff want to do step by step on the arrest and I can only assume is that he's got issues with what other people are preaching. This is his counterpoint. This is saying, I was there. This is what happened. This is what happened in this order. And this is why it happened. And everything that that dude is saying over there isn't right. You know? And, and, and I, it's it's uh, he, he's heard things that don't match. And they, they're, they're, they're not uh, truthful. And so that I, I think there's a reason that he puts the the facts in here. Also, I think he's trying to draw out the significance and symbolism of everything that Christ went through because uh, even little minor details have significance to uh, John's message.
1: Oh yeah, and I think it's like if you read
0: Matthew, Mark, Luke, they don't really go in
1: as harshly as detail as John does with it. So no,
0: and John covers less ground. They covered a, a broader uh, picture. He's very specific, but in more depth, yeah. you know. And uh, it's a, it's a very different book, and it was written much later than the others. So the first three synoptic gospels, depending on who you talk to, were written fairly quickly after Christ's ascension. With, uh, you know, I, I've heard one argument within three or four years. It was it was it was fast. Uh, most of the people that were there were still alive. And so in the the Synoptic Gospels, it states that they're still alive and all these 500 people, most of them are still living and they know they can vouch for this. They're eyewitnesses, everything I've said, you know. Not so really with John. John is in his 70s and he was the on the in the apostles. And I would assume that most of the apostles are gone. John's gospel is the last word before the apostles disappear. And he needs to get all of that specificity of the meaning of Christ down on paper before, before, you know, because it, it, nobody else is going to be able to do it but him. Why
1: do you think you waited so long?
2: Because it's <laughs> already been there, done that. Everyone's already done it.
0: Because God said so.
1: It had, to be, it had to be God because
0: i think that's the only explanation you know if i were in charge i would want all i would want it all fresh down on paper right now and i would order you to but no uh, I, think, I think god needs this gospel i think god, god john survived boiling in oil
2: yeah it's a, but in Bible college, they separate the synoptic gospel. John is not considered a synoptic gospel. I know, I know. I realize It's that. kept separate from uh-huh. the others. The other ones are more historical and detailed, specific yes. oriented. John's was the theological in, in response to the Gnostics that were coming out at that time. Right. This is about the essence of Christ.
0: And, and we need that. You know, I think there's a purpose to John's gospel that is over and above the historical significance of it.
1: I think this is right before that he was boiled in oil and sent off to of pass Before? I'm thinking that, that, that he wrote this before. Because he was busy writing Revelation after he was boiled in oil. Oh, that is,
0: yeah. Assuming that that was the same John. See that? I threw a grenade there. You didn't even jump on it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Alright. Um, yeah. So, Uh, Chapter 18 I'm going to read 1 through 11 And hopefully we'll get through that today (laughs) Because there's there's a lot in there Um, Chapter 18 When he had finished praying Because he was praying in the Mount of Olives Jesus left with his disciples uh, Oh, this was when he had finished Okay, he's not in the Mount of Olives When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked, Who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. I'd forgotten that detail when I started studying that this this week. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? And he said, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you that I am he, Jesus answered. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the word that he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those that you gave me. When Peter, it was Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear, and John, in an aside, says, the servant's name was Malchus. John answered, commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? back up to the top when he had finished praying. So he's been preaching to the disciples and then he leaves the temple after he's arguing with the priests. He's teaching them on the way in this last minute. This is what you're going to go through. Things are about to change. Gut it up, fellas. Stuff's about to happen. And when he finishes uh, uh, oh, then he then he then he stops and he prays and he prays for the disciples. He prays for uh, he prays for himself. He prays for the disciples and he prays for the church. And that was chapter seventeen. So then he gets up and he goes on into the Mount of Olives to pray some more, I guess. And he's known for going there. And I and he knows what's about to happen. I think it's interesting that I think it's interesting that Christ prayed so much considering that he was the son of God and was God. And it seems odd in my understanding that he's talking to himself that way. But as a human, he's reinforcing his walk with the Father by prayer. The only you know if we are under God's protection then we can be safe under that protection. And if we go off on our own way then we step out away from that.
1: I have a disagreement to
0: that. Okay, I'll let you.
1: Well, yes, we can be under God's safety, but then God allows some things to happen.
0: I'm not saying that it's so You're not going to have a perfect life, but I think that we need to stay within God's will.
1: Yeah. But I mean yes, he keeps us safe but then I think God some,
0: expects us to have trials. But don't get a perfect life.
1: Sometimes I've realized over life that sometimes you can pray the blood of Jesus over people and things and still things happen and it's like in the garden
2: but he still got killed. Yeah. Here.
1: Yeah, yours starts out a little bit different than my chapter 18.
0: How can your Bible be different than my Bible?
1: Well, read read read, read, read your first When he had
0: finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. What does yours say?
1: When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Sidron, where was a garden in which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. Okay, okay, we're
0: good. Okay, you make a valid point, actually. Uh, Kidron is is differently uh interpreted and it's also variously spelled depending on which commentator you're reading and i am not i did not get deep enough into that to figure out why the spelling were the same my bible has kidron valley k-i-d-r-o-n and his bible has the uh c-e-d-r-o-n brook usually is how it's interpreted okay a hill that has a bunch of old olive groves on it next to where the old temple is in Jerusalem. And there is a minor valley between those two hills that is referred to as the Kidron Valley. Uh, it is referred to at least twice in Old Testament. There is a time when David, when he's when he's uh, uh, in conflict with so- uh, uh, uh not Saul
2: son um Steven no, Mill Jason Where we cut <laughs> No, he's in conflict with okay not Saul not uh Amen I, 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 I no no actually it's in there in my head
0: okay, I with the dance Okay so David is running away from the bad guy and he's got his people with him, and they are weeping as they cross the Kidron Valley and hide in the olive groves. I David, uh, the king, has pulled back in weeping into the olive groves. I think that's interesting, because Christ, the son of David, is basically doing the same thing. Absolute. Prior to David, Ab- what was his name? Absalom, yes, Absalom. I name. What?
2: Absolutely.
0: I, I get it. Absol- absolutely. Absol- 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 absolute. so I just said? I said absolutely <laughs> early, and you went, "No, it begins with an S." Yeah, I didn't say an S. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, and I would like to state for the internet that Yek in this case was right. So, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not too proud. I will give this one to Yek. He does i did i did misremember that name okay back to work um in in, before david the uh kings of judah that are recorded in the minor prophets when they repented of idols would uh, tear down the idols and the uh, 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 idol temples, and they would crush idols, and they would throw them into the Kidron Valley. This is where they dumped the old idol rocks. Also, as a creek coming out of Jerusalem, it wasn't really known for its cleanliness because it's, it's not a sewer, but it's, you really wouldn't want to drink from it unless you had to. Uh, There is a reference in the Old Testament where in Psalms where David speaks of the Messiah Drinking the sins of the world before he makes his sacrifice And the suggestion is that Christ when he crosses the Kidron Valley, which is or or the Creek Which is a symbol for the sins of man? Drank from it on the way into the the olive grove. However, that's not in Scripture but the symbolism is there. So he crosses over this, this place of sin and this place of sorrow as he steps into his place where he has been known to pray with his disciples where they meet in private. So that's, the, that's why John felt the need to put, the, you know, because we already know where he is and we know where he's going, but John's spelling out that he's stepping over the creek. I think we know he had to step over the creek, you know. But so there's a reason that he put that in there. Uh, on the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. So then we get into Judas, and Judas leads them to this place that he knows in the olive groves. And I think that's curious because these are privately owned olive groves, so they, they, obviously the disciples have permission to be there. Uh, It's not open public land or anything, but uh, nobody knows where that is. So that's why Judas is there, is to guide them to it. They're paying him to be able to capture Christ in quiet.
1: But the one thing that John left out that Judas did is kissed him on the cheek. Yes. I don't know why he left that out,
0: but he did. It doesn't matter. Uh, to, to John. To John. Okay. Um, he left several things out here that I think is kind of interesting because he's, he's telling his story to make his point. It's not about all the details. So, so Judas brings this detachment of soldiers and officials from the chief priests and Pharisees, and they carry torches, lanterns, and weapons to this spot in the grove. Okay, I did some searching here and it was almost funny. The commentator interpretation of the soldiers. One esteemed commentator said that since the Romans had a uh unit uh, had a uh, facility in Jerusalem that had I think it was 5000 soldiers in the city then obviously all 5,000 of those soldiers were marching into the Mount of Olives to capture Christ. And I'm thinking, what? That's a little overkill. And then another esteemed one talks about, he spends forever talking about Roman soldiers and the history of Roman soldiers. And I'm thinking, no, no, it wasn't Roman soldiers. Exactly, Um, these are the Pharisees who are arresting him on their own volition. And so we've got a representative of the high priest there which is uh, the the guy that loses his ear. He's a servant of the high priest. And his servant is either his slave or his employee and we really don't know which one. Uh, And so he's there as an observer. Plus we have all the lawyers which are the Pharisees, they're there. And then we have this unit of soldiers to do all the dirty work, and they are not Roman. They are temple guards. They are Jewish temple guards that work for the Pharisees. They are church security. That's who's there. That's who's there.
1: He says that in the twelve 12th verse. It says, then the band and the captain and the officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him.
0: Well, the officers of Jews would be the Pharisees and the, 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 the temple people. Right. Uh, so I, I, you know, I understand why they would take that interpretation, but it doesn't make any sense that you know, when you look at what happens later, uh, because they have two trials getting their act together with the Pharisees, and then they bring the real trial is when they bring him before the Roman governor because they don't have the authority to punish him <coughs> to a state of, of death. They, they, they don't have. They have
2: the right to execute. Right.
0: So, but they can, you know, beat you and stone you. Stone you being the preferred Hebrew route. But uh, they can't kill you, so they can beat you bloody, but that's as far as they're allowed to go, according to the Roman law. So, what's happening is that they're arresting him at night. Now, now, they know where Jesus hangs out. They know where he lives. They know where he teaches. Wouldn't it make sense to just arrest him in the daylight? We don't really need to go find him in the middle of the night.
1: They had to do this trial in the middle 'cause it was a mock mockery of justice.
2: Well, you know it,
0: they, they, they didn't want a stir. Yeah. They didn't want the people yeah, rising Jesus, up.
2: Jesus was a public figure, so it would have been noticeable
1: if he was killed. However earlier the, the no name no woman,
2: they were ready to stone her to death
0: and right. to because it wouldn't have been a rising up the people. Is that right? They were trying to avoid uh, <coughs> so this is all clandestine. And so, so they're doing it at night. And they're, and
2: they're trying to get it down before
0: Sabbath. Yes. Which is quick since we're having to work at night and Sabbath is you know a day away.
2: Yeah, but
0: they know how long it's gonna take. It. So they show up with this small contingent of soldiers, I'm guessing at most 20, and probably more like close to 10 people here. This isn't this, is this isn't a huge group. Uh, and so they arrest him. And then, who is it you want, Jesus Nazareth? I am he. And they drew back and fell to the ground. They
1: were overwhelmed. What? They were overwhelmed by Christ's what? power. Well, I am his capital. Yes. Can, in one sense, you can look at it as his last, his last use of his power before he had to surrender.
0: I have no other explanation but just that. So, you know, I, I, I think that's interesting. And so it, 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 they were expecting to have to hunt him. They were going to have to go through the olive garden with torches and find the guy high, cowering behind the tree, which is what they would have done normally. you know. And here he is just popping up going, here I am. What do you want because he hadn't done anything. So, uh, and so they're overwhelmed. And so he asks them again who you're looking for. And they mumble Jesus of Nazareth," And he tells them to get with it. You know? So they get up and um, they arrest him. So we got ten guys, the way I'm telling this story, surrounding Jesus. And we're tying his hands, putting on the cuffs. We're about to take him to... Uh, To to trial, and Peter, Mr. Disciple of Christ, pulls a sword that he happened to have on him, and he cuts off the right ear of the servant of Caiaphas, the high priest. Who is the guy that's going to be trying Jesus? Now, statistically, most people are right handed. I'm not sure the exact percentage of people that are left handed. Jesse's looking it up for me now as we speak. Um, if he's right handed and he swings a sword at Bill, he's gonna cut my left ear off. I'm going to cut his left ear off. There is, this is an awkward chop. I don't see this happening. Yeah, I think he was trying to kill him. I don't think anybody aims at an ear. He was trying to put this sword down the middle of this guy's head. But he did it from the back. Because that's the only way he's going to cut off his right ear. So Peter sneaks up behind the dude like a big fat coward. And he tries to hit the guy in the back of the head with a sword. He misses, like the fisherman that he is, and he cuts off his right ear. There's the picture of Peter and his sword. And, you got to notice, he wasn't going after one of the soldiers. He was no, of the no, slash no, 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 no. <laughs> the one that was unarmed is standing on the end observing it all.
2: Yep, shot him in the back and an unarmed person. <laughs> so. But Jesus,
1: Jesus healed his
0: ear back off. Did, but not here. Not here. Okay, that was a percentage of planted people.
1: I don't know what I was actually looking up because I thought there was like something different than the right ear did.
2: Like, apparently, the right ear is where you it contributes more to balance than the left ear. So the balance was cut. Right? Is, there, is that significant? Does that make sense? I don't
0: know. No. You're you're
1: thinking Peter was left-handed. No, I think he's right-handed. I I think he's a coward. There are more. I think he's a coward.
0: (laughs) I think he's a coward. And a bad shot. I think that Peter, even after all this time following Christ, even after Peter genuinely embraces that Christ is the Son of Man and, and, and 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 he's following him to the end, he is still expecting the rebellion. He wants. He, he want, There's going to be a rising up of the followers of Christ, and they're going to overthrow the Romans and the Pharisees. And he's going to end up being governor of Assyria. He still got that in the back of his head. That's what he's thinking. He didn't really get his act together until Acts. Okay, yeah. you say so. Uh, uh, yeah. Peter historically a short man. I don't know. Okay, I just wondered. Uh, church tradition refers to him as the big fisherman. Oh yeah. Oh uh, Paul. He was the oldest, right? Well, we think. We think. We can't prove that, but the way that the scripture is written in the order of names, if you follow Jewish literary tradition, it would it would propose that he is the oldest, and that's why he does this talking for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right, so sorry, I, you know, talk over everybody in the, the chosen, him. I kind of take exception to that particular characterization of Peter. I, th- I think he should be about... 20 years older, the actor should be, and uh, maybe just as hot-headed, but but you know he's still. That's why he's the spokesman. is because he's the oldest guy you know, in the
2: room. But, uh, let me think of that again. Okay, get me. You, you can have older people in a room and they passive and quiet, and someone who's a little younger is more bold and yes. talkative. But sometimes but that's a personality can. thing too. I mean. You wouldn't believe it, but actually, she's the more bold in the relationship. What? What? I would never think so. Shocking, isn't it? <laughs> 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 the sarcasm come through. Yeah. She's more okay. likely to take over a conversation. I'm more likely to grab the sword and cut somebody's ear off. Yeah, it. she really is. <laughs> I'm a pacifist. And I'm left tangent. <laughs> <laughs> she owns the gun. I don't own a gun. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't.
0: I just took a point away from you. Okay, um, when Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear, and then John says, the servant's name is Malchus, because that was something that John knew that nobody else knew, because this is the only time that Malchus is mentioned, as far as his name goes. He's mentioned in the other gospels, but they didn't know him, yes, I really hunted for that and I could not find any kind of yeah uh, tradition is that he <laughs> became a
2: leader.
0: but the tradition starts during the time of the Gnostics about 300 years after and there's not I, I don't I don't know there was also a saint Malchus who is not this Malchus and I kept but confusing you, my references and so I don't have a lot of Malchus I don't think we know.
2: consideration if your ears cut off and a guy picks it up and yeah yeah, that, we'll find out more that's that. going to
0: change your life. I admit that. I know. It not You know, if,
2: if he became saved, let's say he's just a member of the church. He's built. And John is going, oh, yeah, the guy that did it, it's Malchus.
0: Okay. The, that was my first guess is that John knows Malchus from the 70 years intervening between when this happened and when he wrote the book. And he's become one of the disciples and he's now a missionary, blah, 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 because that's, that's happened. Uh, in many other places in scripture when, when, when we, you know. But uh, I don't know that. I think more likely is that later in this chapter, it states that jo- John tells you that he was known in the home of Caiaphas. John is an acquaintance of the, of the family of Caiaphas. He has been in and out. He knows Malchus because Malchus served him dinner last year. You know, he's he's been in and out of this home. Now, when uh, they, they start the trial, they take him to the home of Annas, who is Caiaphas's father-in-law and also a priest. I don't know where they lived. I'm assuming that it's next door, you know. So he goes there for the meeting before the meeting, the preliminary hearing. And uh, John walks in because they know him. They know his face. The servants wave him in because he's one of the the, the entourage. They don't know Peter. So John gets Peter in. And that's when they start questioning Peter because they don't know Peter. They know John.
1: But how is it that they they know John and don't know Peter when
2: they were all disciples of Jesus?
0: Well, they all come from different backgrounds. And and John knows people.
2: The earliest thing about Malchus is from the early church father, Jerome. That Malchus was one of the people that Jesus appeared to. He appeared to several people after his resurrection. Okay. And he became a Christian. Jerome,
0: who was I saw a Jerome reference, but I didn't see that. That's interesting. And
2: okay. that, that, but that's just from his report. It's not like, oh my goodness, here's here
0: the F. Once again, Internet, I would like to say that Clayton Yeck has a better reference than I do. <laughs> okay. I love this class. <laughs> so, uh, you've got to give credit where it's due. And take it when you deserve it. Okay. So, um, he cuts off his ear. And I think John just knows him. And, and, and as we go through chapter 18, that becomes more and more apparent. And uh, anyway, uh, so, so Jesus commands Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup that God has given me? Christ is in charge of this. He is not being swept up by bad people who are overwhelming him and killing him and getting rid of him. Christ can stop this at any moment. He has divine control. He is dying for a reason and he's going to let this happen. And he orders Peter to back down because this is something that has to happen. And so that's where John leaves it. John does not tell how Christ healed Malchus, even though he's known to Malchus. Uh, The only gospel that mentions the healing of Malchus is Luke, who was Mr. Detail Man and had to get everything. Yeah, they're like that. Yeah, he's very type A, yeah. So so John's telling this story, and so he says, put it away, I've got to do this. And so then we, uh, and and, oh my word, we made it through that first section, I'm so proud. Okay, uh, we've got maybe five minutes before all the musicians run off. Uh, 12, then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Oh, and he was the high priest for the next, I think it was 18 years too. So, uh, Caiaphas was the one who had caused oh wait, the one who had advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people. Which is I'm sure something that John found out later. You know, a little, little detail to throw out there. So, why don't they just take him to Caiaphas? because Caiaphas sent them to arrest him and, and he's the high priest, he's the one that needs to bring the charge and present it to the Romans, but they don't bring him to Caiaphas, they bring him to Annas, who's next door, an older priest who is high esteemed and in with Caiaphas and is known in his home, his father-in-law, why do we go there? Here's what I think. And then I'm going to let Yek explain it to me. Uh, when I, I was a teacher before I retired, retirement is wonderful and I think all of you should retire as soon as humanly possible. Um, and in education, when, I, when we had a difficult meeting with a difficult parent because we had a difficult child and the parent wanted all kinds of concessions on the part of her child, usually that involves a lot of public money. Uh, We needed to get, as educators, all of our ducks in a row, and we did not want the uninformed substitute at the meeting saying something that torpedoed our case in what we wanted to provide for this child uh, uh, that would be best for him. And I don't think in education we were ever doing anything that was against the will of a child, but I think often parents push for more than they should, you know, or would have a right to. In any case, when there was a whole lot of money on the line there would be a meeting before the meeting, and that's the official education term for it. I would have to show up two hours before the A.R.D. and to the meeting before the meeting, where we would discuss what we're all going to say, so that we're all on the same page. So and you if can that properly gang up the parents. yes, and so uh, what, what, yes, and you've been there, obviously yes. Uh, okay. She made them cry. I, yeah, I have no doubt about that, but, but it's not so much to gang up on the parent, to be fair. I don't think there were nefarious plans here. It was so that you don't have the ignorant little second-grade teacher popping off with something that, that undermines what we should be doing, and that, that often happens in an art. but usually there's not a lot of cash on the line, and, and, and it's when there's cash on the line that, that the administrators get all upset. You know, So I think that's what we were doing here. We really don't have a good case against Christ. They didn't have a good case against Christ. Uh, and so if they're going to bring this case and try to get him killed because they are going for a capital punishment, then they need to make sure that their charges are appropriate and that they ask for enough and not too much. You know, because if they push it too hard and it can it can it can blow back on them and they'll lose everything. So this is the preliminary hearing is not so much just to figure out if we're going to bring charges is to figure out how we're going to appropriately bring charges. And speaking I'm not an attorney, but most attorneys are going to tell you that everything you say in a preliminary hearing is going to work against you. There is nothing that you can say, innocent or not, that is ever going to help you in a preliminary hearing. When a police officer corners you, even if you're innocent and you haven't done anything, and you're standing on your own property, and he starts pelting you with questions, most attorneys are going to say, don't say anything, because there's nothing you can say that will help. They will ignore what's Honest and not hurtful. All he's doing is looking for something to bring charges against you with. If you say nothing, he can't. We used to have a
1: police officer that hated young people in Garland. His name was Dietrich. He did Ooh, that. Just th- threw him under the bus
0: right there. Okay.
1: He. he not <laughs> uh, so.
0: Is that was that is that all you're gonna, you just want to throw his name out there? That's all no, you're going to say. No, uh, I'm not going to oh. say the rest of it. Okay. okay. All right. Well, let me back, back up. I uh, agree uh, uh, with you, but it even goes farther.
2: Okay, had been deposed from the high priesthood by the Romans in AD 15, but was probably still regarded by many as the true high priest. That's to talk about Annas. In Jewish law, a man could not be sentenced on the day his trial was held. That's the other thing about why they're having to get this going quickly too. And so, this, the two examinations. This one mentioned only by John. And that before, and the other one, Caiaphas, may have been conducted to give some form of legitimacy to what
0: was being done. Okay. So it agrees with you. And And we're completely out of time, and we're going to have to start there. But Peter's first denial is in the courtyard of Annas, and then his second denial, it seems to be in the courtyard of Caiaphas. But there's no movement from one to the other. He's he's warming himself by the fire one place and now he's by the fire the second place, you know. So I think that the homes of these two people are either the same home or it's right next to each other and we can talk about eastern houses in a little bit. That's very, very possible.
2: They voted to adjourn when one meeting was over, and they had the next meeting which counts as two different meetings, probably from before yeah, midnight yeah. and after
0: midnight. And I think they moved across the street. I think These two guys live right next to each other. Otherwise, this wouldn't make quite so much sense. All right, we will start at verse 15 at Peter's first denial next week. And uh, goodbye, Internet.